For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. I don't know. Talk Recorded live. Start going here. Sorry. That's okay, Fred. A U N American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human God to eliminate all risk from their life, pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human God, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about their future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, hello, everyone. Sorry about this. We were talking in the pre-show that uh, uh, Pat, Pat Riot, uh, about five, five weeks ago, kind of skipped out on us, and uh, he said he, he totally spaced out on that one, and uh, he did commit to coming on tonight. This was confirmed last week, and again, yesterday, I personally called him, talked Ooh. to him on the phone. Someone... Someone's uh, unmuted, Dee Dee. Tired. Who's <laughs> <laughs> yawning and making this Someone's yawning in, in, on the call, guys. Okay. We're uh, we're not going to have a guest unless uh, Pat Riot calls in, everyone. And uh, he was really taken aback uh, the last time he skipped out on us. And I had a nice chat with him yesterday. He took down the, the number and the pin code and... Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something in the air out there. Maybe all of this stuff in the United Nations, North Korea, 
with uh, the state of our world, the Mexican earthquake, the three hurricanes, the one bearing down on Puerto Rico right now. I guess Puerto Rico is still without power. So uh, we can we can just have an open forum chat. Maybe hopefully uh, uh, Pat Riot will call in. I'll, I'll try him again in another five or ten minutes during this call. But um, he was the appointed agreed-upon guest, and I'm really, really sorry he's not on, on, on the call to start the call right right now, the show right now. So uh, if anyone would like to interject and share anything, it's blazing hot here in Chicago. It's been in the 90s yesterday. It got up to like 96, 95 yesterday, and it was, again, 94 today. Really humid, but now it's starting to cool down. But uh, uh, that's 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 all I have, everyone. We're in a brave new world. Uh, but uh, as far as somebody asked about the Trump speech before the United Nations, um, I thought you know I heard excerpts of it, and, and uh, he really called out the new world order, communism, socialism, uh, fascism. He called all of the isms out that are part of this global new world order seem to be behind the scenes, behind the curtain, orchestrating, constructing, controlling in an attempt to, to lock everything down. And Trump um, kind of blew a shot across the, the, the new world order bow. So in that sense, I, I thought it was a great speech. Uh, it's got everyone really caught up in their shorts. And uh, But... Uh, Everyone that I've heard uh, talking about this seems, seems to be really applauding. Uh, I guess there was a leak in the New York Times that Paul Manafort uh, was alerted by the Mueller investigative team that he will be indicted, and they'll probably try to cut a deal with Manafort to bring Trump down or involve Trump in some negative way to bring everything to a head. I don't know. But this whole Russian thing, it's pretty, pretty crazy what's going on in D.C. behind the scenes right now. Uh, not quite sure where the deep state, you know, the line of the deep state is, if, if, it can, if the swamp can be drained at all. Uh, but there's definitely uh, powers that be that, that want to bring this whole thing down. And, and the admissions this week that uh, Trump was, in fact, Wiretap, the Trump Tower was wiretapped going back a year and a half, two years. It was all admitted this past week. Uh, this is all of the stuff that they claim Trump was crazy about uh, calling out in, in his tweets earlier this year. That it was a complete whack job, conspiratorial whack job about this. The fact is that this has been going on. Some of this stuff is being leaked from these uh special investigative committees inside Congress right now. So anyway, that's all I have. Uh, I'll try on the other line here. I'll try to call Pat Riot again, and uh, hopefully uh, uh, he's okay. I don't know. I mean, doesn't doesn't the president have the authority to pardon everybody in advance, no matter what the, no matter what investigation is going on? Yeah. Maybe you should just yeah, issue an executive so. order. If it's everybody in my administration, including myself, we will not be subject to any investigation, and we would pardon for everything. 
That'd be fun. <laughs> what do you guys think? You know, that'd be very uh, well, then, 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 then you've got the media, Al, which is a loaded gun. The media is a loaded gun to Trump's head. Yeah, you don't even well, know what he's actually doing because of that. And, yeah. and other people in Congress and House. Then he could issue, issue executive orders canceling all the mass media's licenses to conduct business. Shut them down all at once. That'd be interesting. They can plant things to make it look like Trump did it and then, then go ahead with all the legal stuff yeah. against him. Yep. What do you guys think? In advance, if, they, if he parts himself in advance, what can they do? What could they possibly do? They can't, they can't indict him. They can't take him out of office. You couldn't even impeach him. Mm-hmm. So he's stuck. I don't know. Maybe there's, 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 maybe. Some, there's some there's something behind the scenes. Some kind of gotcha is being orchestrated behind the scenes. It seems like. But if know. if if the Congress tries to impeach this man, and you've got a hundred million people that voted for him in the last general election. Mm-hmm. And you have three to five million bikers that converge on the city of Washington all at once. What could they possibly do to stop the general population from taking the government away from the politicians? What could they do? Maybe they don't believe that we'll do it because look what happened to JFK and people did nothing. Well, during the inauguration, there were three million bikers in the city of Washington. I know one was Donald my ex. Trump. One was my ex-husband. He he biked all the way down from uh, Minnesota all the way into Washington D.C. Now that's the den of winners, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was quite interesting because he was way up there. Right. And, yeah, and uh, no, they know he has a lot of support, but I think they might be counting on the fact that. We're too dumbed down and scared to do anything. You know, we're so used to seeing violence on TV and JFK killed yeah. in front of us. They're from, they're, they think they'll just give us, give us a new leader, promise a few things, and we'll be okay with that. But I don't think um, we will. <laughs> the, um, when, when the storm started coming into Texas and into Florida, the Mormon church ordered 100,000 people in a day to give provide relief. Well, they know. And they, they put 200,000 mm-hmm. put 200,000 people on the ground in Texas within 24 hours of the storm hitting. And 200,000 people on the ground in Florida for the same reasons. Now, in case of a national emergency, they can assemble 12 million people in 24 hours. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I don't think we will will react the same way we do with JFK because we thought the people in the government would do what's right at that time. But with all the alternative media, we have um, different information going out. And, you know what I mean? And I think that um, people may not react right away, but they're not going to be happy at all. I mean, they're not, I don't think they could pull off like they did back in 1963. 
What does that mean? Well, I don't, and if they're thinking of getting rid of him, I think they got to keep in mind that um, oh, we're different now. I mean, we've had all this alternative media. We've had jobs shipped overseas, all kinds of foreigners coming in. we got Muslims uh, praying in our parks to Mecca. People are noticing this stuff, you know. And, uh, and you know, the economy is not good, so we, we're not quite so gun-ho USA uh, thinking that the people in our government are great. We're, we're not anymore. And I think if they did something to him, I think you're going to have a lot of angry Americans in if they decide to put somebody else in place. Um, I think they're going to hear from the American people, and I don't think uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens, but uh, uh, I don't know. You know, I wonder what would happen itself. Like, would we just completely, the vast majority, not respect anything that president did? Be so angry? Maybe there'll be uh, people marching in Washington. Yeah. I don't know. Because they can't. Would you mind it if I ask who's speaking? Oh, this is Joe Marie. Yes, yes. I forgot to introduce myself. Oh. Okay, no, that's fine. Your name was just listed as unknown, and I thought, I, we know that voice. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go ahead. Don't tell me. Yeah, that's, that's what I wanted. Because here's another thing. I've been listening to Robert Steele, and I don't really know if I trust him or not, but he says, uh, you know, he's surrounded. He, he, uh, Donald Trump is dealing with mutiny. People, he, if he, he has to be careful uh, what he does, because what if they say, no, we're not going to do it? What are you going to do about it, uh, Mr. President? And what is he going to do about it? You see, so I think he's very cautious about that. And uh, so I think he's surrounded. And I don't know what he's going to do because he's really handling everything by himself. Uh, there's not too many people on his, his side. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, God, maybe they, I wish they would impeach me so I can go back to the Trump Towers and be done with this. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, you know, then there's, Steve Pachinik, I don't know if you guys know who he is, very intelligent man, I don't know if I trust him, but, um, uh, you know, you're just wondering who really is in charge, what faction is in charge here, you know, they don't like him, they don't want him in power, so he must be not all in with them, they can't trust what he's going to do, um, so, yeah. yeah, we're in a very interesting times, and then you got the the younger generation being so brainwashed by the college is just, you know, amazing. They have no sense of history. They don't know any better. And, it, 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 you know, they've done this to us very slowly. I'm not sure if we could reverse a lot of this. You know what I mean? It's hard to reverse a lot of it. It's hard to revert a lot of it because it's systematic. Across our whole country, we have... Uh, an institution that is implementing this type of uh, naivete through the institutions. We have people in place that are teaching economics that uh, drill the individual into the ground. And through the television, we have um, a system that placates the public and doesn't allow them to act even if they wanted to. So it's really hard to beat that type of system that is so um, widely dispersed. Yeah, and even my some of my relatives, they don't want all of them actually. They don't want to believe it. They want to believe that America's USA number one. Everything's going to get better. 
I post something on Facebook, they all ignore me. So I, I you know, I don't have hardly anybody to talk to about it. Uh, family members don't want to hear about it. Huh. Can that, would you mind uh, the person that calling talking from Erico three hundred four? Would you mind introducing yourself? Hello, my name is Scott Jacobitis. I have uh, I was in the past associated with um, Bob Schultz and Municipal Congress. Uh, was okay. A for Berks County, uh, Pennsylvania, and I've That's been around great. still friends with Betty Smith. So uh, she uh, recently gave me the phone number, and I joined in with you guys every now and then. Yes, I just uh, we wanted back here to put your name by the number so we could welcome you next time you came in too. So right, thank, thank you. you, Scott, for interrupting what God, you were saying. Scott, I remember. I remember Fred Smart. I remember meeting you many years ago. <laughs> Hello, Fred. I remember you too. I think about you often. And I'm I'm here, <laughs> Scott. Hi, <laughs> hey, Betty. Hi. Now, with all of the uh, with all of those thoughts I just put out there, I realize that the system is ingrained. Uh, but I've been trying to think lately of ways and things that might give us hope as to changing the tide in the hands of the people. And one of the things that I saw that uh, you know, other than the media attacks against Trump, I'm seeing that the um, government is really coming out against this cryptocurrency. And uh, ideas like that that would put the banking system secondary to this really public um, transaction ledger, that they're, they're trying to make sure that everybody who tries to participate in this is demonized. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I see them attack something that seems so fundamental to my individual rights, such as being able to exchange freely with other people, matter whether it's in our country or across the mm-hmm. world, and not have to use the centralized banking systems. When I see them attack that, I know that that idea fundamentally goes against what it is that they are trying to erect in opposition to my freedoms and liberties. So, um, you know, I think it is worth it to all of us to spend a little time investigating what these cryptocurrencies are and how they might benefit us in freedom. Yes, Scott, uh, there's troubling, uh, and I, I, I don't have the research in front of me to, to uh, but there are cases uh, where the government is attacking individuals who, who have just simply exchanged Bitcoins uh, in ways, you know, where they're buying it on an exchange and they're selling it off an exchange. And they're doing it in, in just, I mean, it's not huge volume, but it's, it's uh, much larger than any single individual would typically uh, do it. And it's just, I don't know if you're familiar with the case. I don't even know the guy's name, but he's a very uh, reputable uh, older gentleman who, who uh, the government raided his home. And now, now all of the people that he dealt with in Bitcoin are being are being under are under scrutiny, under investigation. So there's something going on in the Bitcoin community that is shaking shaking people up. It's it's a maybe it's a I don't know. Al, have you heard of this? I don't know if Al's still on, or a resident Bitcoin expert. 
Anyway, there's a YouTube video. Are you, yeah, are you I, I, I haven't heard about it at all now. What, 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 yeah. I, what, I what I do know is this, that Bitcoin in the past two months, three months, has grown from being a 10 to $12 billion currency to nearly $100 billion. Um, I know it's fallen back some, but the fact of the matter is, is that its death has been foretold of about 50 times since I became aware of it. Um, and what's basically going on now is that the Chinese are attacking it overtly. Europeans are not. I do not know the U.S. had it under attack except for banking purposes. They don't want banks will not take, most of them won't anyway, take um, American currency uh, that has been uh, traded for uh, Bitcoin and some of the other uh, other other uh, other you know cryptocurrencies. On the other hand, um, I don't think that it's even likely that they're going to be able to stop this this form of commerce. They can try. They can send a lot of people to jail. Um, but at the same time. What that basically says is that you can no longer contract by taking people out of the, you know, the, the, the Bitcoin space. They're saying you can't contract with each other to conduct business the way you want to. Correct. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm looking at right now something called cryptocurrency market capitalizations. Okay. Um, Bitcoin is trading at 3690 $2,690 per coin right now. Um, today's volume was $1,398,710. Not a huge number, but pretty respectable. Its market cap is $61 billion, $182,521. Um, then there's others below it. But the total amount of cryptocurrency out there, um, well, is 126 billion, 419 million, 796 dollars. Uh, meaning that if you compare it to last year, it would have been half that number. The year before that, half that number again. The year before that, it would have been half again. Going back to 1999, when it was when it was worth less than you know a thousand dollars for all the currencies that were out there. But Cryptocurrencies are nothing new. All of us are old enough, at least I'm old enough, God help me, to remember Grandma and Ma collecting green stamps and having those books all over the house, as you may recall. Mm-hmm. So you'd go shopping, and my mother would write down virtually everything that she ever bought in her little little binder. I mean, you'd go back to the 1940s, and my mother would have the price of a, of a stick of butter. Um, of course, I wasn't alive quite yet, um, but um, she was a green stamp person, and um, she had all these things that she would do. Those were currency, weren't they? And now the big, the big um, coupon companies like Groupon and things like that. I think those those coupons are currency. I can go buy, buy a two hundred dollar meal. At a nice restaurant in town that I'm living in for ten dollars. That's currency. 
Um, but these other things, I think what they're concerned about is not so much the currency. I think what they're concerned about is the fact that they cannot argue with something called the blockchain, which links every single transaction to every other transaction, and you can't change it. You can't cheat the people. You can't change the, the, amount, of, the amount of the transaction. You can't change who participated in it. You can't change the amount. It simply can't be done. There's laws that are on a blockchain. I mean, that's the concern they have. Cryptocurrency itself, I don't think it's big enough quite yet to make a big difference um, at the moment. Even though it has $126 billion of market cap, and Bitcoin itself, as an example, is doing, oh, let me see here. Go back to it. It did, you know, um, let's see. One billion three hundred ninety-eight million seven hundred ten dollars a day. If you multiply that out, that would make it about a four or five hundred billion dollar velocity currency, which is not all that much when you consider that we have a twenty trillion dollar economy. But it's, the numbers begin beginning to, to make make a uh, an impression. The other thing is that you never have to go through a central authority ever with the cryptocurrencies. They all reside on the blockchain. There's no such thing as a, a bank. Your wallet is your bank. And there's no such thing as a, uh, a clearing place. The computers all over the, all over the globe are confirming transactions. And the government can't track any of it. They can try. Good luck to them. I think the biggest concern the government has is if they can't track it, and they can't tax it. So that's the problem they've got. And that, that's the soup to nuts, it would be it. So, but it's only, it's only the U.S. government and the Chinese government that are all that concerned about it. The Russians were for a while, but not very concerned anymore. The Europeans don't care. And some of these cryptocurrencies will revive economies that have failed. Greece is one of them. Venezuela is another. Italy is another. Ireland is about to, is about to walk in the smoke. Um, the Russian economy could, could help, could, could uh, benefit from it. And the Indian, Indian economy, you know, could benefit from it. So it's going to have a lot of, you know, starts and stops and, you know, things like that. Um, it's hard to, it's, and it's also hard to make any money or headway with it as well. So, I mean, Bitcoin, you can use in commerce, but the other 400 cryptocurrencies, they can't be used very well. I can't go and buy a pair of shoes with Ethereum or Bitcoin Cash or Ripple. I can do that with Bitcoin. I can buy a new car or house, whatever I like. But that's taken nine years to get to that point. Let me see. Wrong. Uh, eight years. So <clears throat> I think, though, that if you become more and more skeptical of their national currencies, there will be this persistent drive to the cryptocurrencies. Not because people want to hide anything. I think that's the case. I think it's because they're concerned about the value of their money becoming worthless. And they hear things like, like the government's going to seize your bank account because it's having trouble financial trouble itself, 
Why would have to do that? I do not know. Or the 2008 bailout has not fixed anything, and we got another bailout, a potential really bigger bubble happening right now. And you can't buy gold because there's so many claims on gold. You've got six to six to ten claims on every ounce of gold on the planet. So you know, I'm surprised that silver hasn't gone through the roof. I'm surprised that gold hasn't gone through the roof. But you can't spend it either. So once you've spent it, it's with somebody else, and you can't, it's not easily transferable. So all the currencies have, have issues with them. Um, but I think what the concern is now is that the Chinese want to uh, remove the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency with petrodollars around the world. And that gives opportunity to a lot of the cryptocurrencies to come in and fill in the gaps. It doesn't mean they're going to come in and become a big deal. It just means that people are going to, are going to dabble in them at an ever-increasing rate. I mean, how many on this phone call would accept Chinese money? That's all you could accept into the bank account. I know I wouldn't. But how many here would? Pat Wright's phone, Fred. Patrick Wright's with Ooh. I'm gone. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Al. Pat, are you there, buddy? Star six your phone. Hello. There's I am, Fred. My apologies. Okay. It's the second time in a row that I have failed to appear for you. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I apologize to the audience. It, uh, it's taken me almost 30 minutes. The Rothschilds captured me early this afternoon to prevent me from being on your show tonight. Oh, yeah, and, sure. <laughs> uh, I was rescued at the last minute about 15 minutes ago, and I went to you in a place where I could be on the phone. So here I am. Okay. That's okay, Patrick. We had a real nice tutorial uh, a discussion with Scott and Al Jordan on the cryptocurrency. So you came in at a perfect moment. I heard a little bit. I heard a little yeah. bit. Uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, as the Catholics would say, or at least the Latin language would say, I, I beg your forgiveness. Okay, well, I'm glad you're okay. I was getting worried. We were getting worried. Yeah, I was worried too. And um, I, I, uh, I can't believe I did that to you a second time in a row. Um, I, I didn't expect to speak at all about Bitcoin, but I'm, I was listening to the last few minutes of your speaker's uh, comments about Bitcoin, which is a fascinating subject in and of itself. Um, over the years, I have become a, a student, actually started out as a student and become more of a student of currency. And the nature of the Federal Reserve note, which, as we all know, is a privately issued currency. So um, I, I want to uh, I want to make a comment or two, not one that's uh, going to uh, educate anybody, but one that's going to give you my suspicions and uh, my opinion of Bitcoin, and then we'll go into touching on something more contemporary to the time, more contemporaneous to what's going on in the world. Bitcoin is an interesting, um, I don't know what I can say, but to go from a few hundred dollars per coin or per unit up to 4,000, over 4,000 in the past few weeks has been fascinating. If I dropped uh, and had 50,000 drop into it back as recently as 12 or 13, it'd be worth about 15 or $18 million today. And Bitcoin is a, um, uh, 
a product of the hysteria of our times relative to currencies and the belief that the United States is dollar is about to collapse. And let me use that as a jumping off point. In my opinion, I can't tell you with, with, with absolute certainty, but my opinion is that the dollar, contrary to how we all believe, is anything but weak. The United States dollar was more weak in the 1980s than it is today. No one, myself included, understands fully how debt is calculated throughout the world in the form of the currencies that are issued by whatever society they live within, whether it's the Russian society, whether it's the Chinese society, which, by the way, is bankrupt. The Chinese society in Iran um, has enormous challenges compared to what the dollar is. The dollar's, the dollar's strength throughout the world is, is, I guess, unparalleled today in comparison to any time in its past history, in my opinion. So to all of those that believe in the doom and gloom of the dollar and it's about to collapse or it's soon to collapse situation, I would say take care. Be cautious. Don't put your faith in some of these scams. The most notorious is the dinar. The Bitcoin, I'm inclined to almost invest in it because of the hysteria that surrounds the dollar and people's faith in false gods. And I think the Bitcoin ultimately is a false, false god. It's not a bad concept relative to it is a very limited number of units that has been issued by a computer or, if you will, by a method that is computer-generated and is self-limiting. So it, therefore, has a value that continues to rise based upon the amount it's issued, much like Gold. If gold was, in fact, the backer for a currency today, it might be worth four, twelve, seventeen, twenty-five million dollars an ounce. But it's not because gold no longer backs the U.S. dollar or any other currency per se. So, uh, to your previous speaker in the Bitcoin, uh, if I was a speculator, I might be interested in investing in it. And by the way, I believe it has a chance to go up to six or eight or 20 times its current value because of the lack of knowledge that surrounds the dollar. The dollar is the de facto standard for measuring currency throughout the world, whether it's real, imagined, or otherwise. Now, let's go back and talk about the Rothschilds. That happens to be the core element of my subject matter over the past, I guess, I don't know, Fred, how long have I been talking on your show? Uh, six years, 10 years, 12 years, four years? Uh, you've, been on, you've been on at least eight years. It, it was, I think in a, it wasn't until the second year that you came on. We've been doing this for 10 and a half years. Holy sugar. Uh, yeah. And I wanted to say shit, but I didn't want to offend anybody's ears that were on here that <laughs> never heard the word shit before. Um, 10 and a half years, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, the one thing we can all count on is that there is no conspiracy out there. 
There is no uh, illusion, but there is a small syndicate of people, as described in 1920 in the London Daily Herald by Winston Churchill, as a sinister confederacy of Jews. That's one of the more fascinating aspects, more, one of the more fascinating descriptions of the group of people who I, as I say to friends who know me in a, in a personal circle, um, one of the more fascinating aspects of how they're described, which leads anyone who listens to this to say, oh, he's an anti-Semite. No, there's no such thing as an anti-Semite when they use language such as what I've just used. It's no different than saying there is a criminal syndicate of Italians. That doesn't make you anti-Italian. It doesn't make you somebody who's prejudiced against all of the Italians in the world. It just makes you educated about the mafia. It's one of the more brilliant aspects of what Rothschild has created down through the history of 200 years that we know of that took a small group, a small band of people who happened to have been Jews that bound themselves together intergenerationally to use their power and the power of their peers not necessarily people who were involved in their syndicate, their criminal syndicate, but the power of their peers to do things that devolve the nature of governments throughout the world, most notably the United States and most notably the United States because Rothschild determined in the late 1700s that this great nation would have the most powerful military of the world. So the United States became the most important target for what they did and what they would do going forward. Because the military of any great nation was always the target of what Rothschild felt he could accomplish. And when I say he, I'm not talking about a singular individual. I'm talking about a generation. I'm talking about the leader of, the, uh, the, the member of the family who was the leader of that family at that point in time in history. But it was viewed in the 1700s by Rothschild, the Rothschild at that point in time, that the United States, or if you will, the different entity we also call the United States of America, would evolve into the most powerful military in the world. Because that's what the Rothschild family followed. They followed the power of a military because they were war makers. They were not bankers. They used banking and the debt that banking would create as a tool of war. That's all the Rothschilds ever did, and that's all they ever were and are today. They're warriors. And they use banking and the debt that banking creates as a power to control the military of various nations of the world, most notably the United States down over the last 200 years, knowing full well 200 years ago the United States would evolve into the most powerful military of the world and that's where they would focus their attention. And in 1917, the attention was then focused on what they created with the Balfour Declaration called Israel, and make sure that Israel not only survived, but thrived as we're all watching it. 
I forget what the term Saturday Night Massacre was used to describe. I know it's a part of our recent history. I don't know if it's a mafioso term or a criminal term. In fact, uh, let's see. No, it was uh, it was where the uh, uh, Nixon got rid of the special prosecutor, and then the the uh, next guy that was, was. Gilbert, and uh, he he resigned, and then the next guy under him resigned, and so that's what they called it Saturday Night Massacre. That's uh, absolutely right. Yes, Nixon's orders to fire the independent special prosecutor. Well, I am using it in a different way. On on November 8th last year, we had a new president. We had our fellow, um, this guy Trump, elected. And then on January 20th, he took office. And he took office with a band of merry Americans surrounding him some of which could be called good advisors, some of which could be called questionable advisors. I won't describe any of them as bad advisors. But since January 20th till a few weeks ago when Steve Bannon stepped down or was forced out, he had advisors that were outside the circle of Rothschild's control. But between January 20th and a few weeks ago, this Saturday Night Massacre evolved and all, it seems, all of Trump's advisors that would have protected him from the powers of the Israeli influence, they're all gone. They're all gone in a different way. So my analogy is not as direct as it might otherwise be, but they're all gone, Steve Bannon being the last one. From Mike Flynn all the way through to Steve Bannon. And who's left behind? Jared Kushner. The Jew. No, not because he's a Jew. Not because he's a son-in-law. But because he's an Israeli citizen, so is his wife, who happens to be Trump's daughter, which was the power that kept things going the way they did. But the interesting thing is, you've got Steve Bannon, who has stepped outside, and somebody help me out. Who is the one that left before Steve Bannon? Who is the one just before Steve Bannon had left? Ben Spicer. Well, Spicer's back. He's hanging around. He's not left. And Spicer didn't make the statement that I'm, I am going to be a provocateur on behalf of Trump, which is what... Bannon said, and the one who left prior to Bannon, Steve Bannon. Is that the, the Italian guy from Long Island? The Harvard guy? Uh, the idiot. The one who shot the guy has a big mouth. One, big mouth. Uh, the, the adult Brown male, like a 15-year-old in school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guy's yeah. a bunch of Harvard. He doesn't have to tell all his name was. Scaramucci. Scaramucci. It's so crazy. He's a kid a comedian. We have we have an Israeli cleansing of the White House and Trump's staff. So what we've got now is the only ones that surround Trump in a direct way are Israelis or Israeli-controlled individuals. Once again, our government is under the control of Israeli thought, Israeli doctrine, and when you go through the heart of Israeli, you find out that the Balfour Declaration and 
November of 17, which was addressed to a Rothschild, is under the control of the Rothschild family. One way or another. The Federal Reserve note, I believe, is has is and has been under the control of the United States for a lot in a lot greater way than any of us, even myself as recent as six months ago, would have believed. But the United States military is where it's at. And that's what they're focused on. They want control of US military. As long as they can control the US military and isolate its president, the US president, they have control of the world. Now, the wild cards and the rogues like this idiot from North Korea, those are unexpected and those are uncontrollable. There's no way. I don't believe there's any way that Israel has any control over that. What they'll do is try to control it by other events they can control or other powers they have over our White House or our military. I'm not so sure they know what they're doing, and we're at the mercy of whatever the results are. It all comes back to currency, and I have become a firm believer that our currency was put back under the control of our nation somewhere in the 30s, contrary to the fact, and I believe it was a fact, that we were bankrupted in 1928 through 1931 or 32. But the word bankruptcy is an inappropriate word. I think the word should have been default. We defaulted. Our, our country could not have been bankrupted because there wasn't a formal announcement of it and there wasn't a formal method for the United States to be bankrupted in 1933, which is anathema to anything I would have spoken to this audience with maybe as recent as seven to ten months ago. But default, this nation defaulted. It couldn't make payments on its debt. In 1928 through 1933, it defaulted. And the government of the United States made arrangements. They changed laws. And this nation did change. It changed forever going into the future. Not to the disadvantage of the American public or the states, but it changed the construction of our government. Our government is not the same constitutionally controlled constitutionally created government as it was in 1928 and earlier. It's different, but it's still pro-American, pro-people, pro-state, but in a different way. All done to us by the Rothschild family, who have been in the background ever since, doing their best to control our military and, in fact, control the government of the United States, or, again, as I said, the United States of America. So to get into the specificity of these details, I'm, I'm, I'm unable to do that um, in the contours, within the contours of a, a small show like this. Uh, a small show, I say, I don't know if we've got uh, 700, 7,000, or seven people listening, but uh, I couldn't begin to do the details that make me say what I've just said. So uh, I... I am still a believer that we are fighting for our lives against the Rothschild power, who does, in fact, still control the U.S. military in spite of its inability to take total control of our nation, as I had believed through the debt that the Federal Reserve note represents with the 
the dollar, if you will, throughout the world. The dollar is unique. The dollar is a weapon. It's a weapon of power, and it's been issued and become the de facto currency of the world. The Chinese won, the, 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 the Mimbi, Mimbi, I guess they call it, is without too much value because the, the Chinese are damn near bankrupt, as we would have said or I would have said and believed that the U.S. market, U.S. dollar is. The world is a dangerous place because the world, in fact, is bankrupt. You have to recognize that every currency that's issued, to whatever volume it is issued, whether it's the British pound, the UK pound, the euro as done throughout Europe, the Russian currency, the Chinese currency, or currencies of South America, they are issued in far greater quantity than the debts of those nations uh, can possibly handle. And nobody is talking about it. It's one of those dirty little secrets. It's a 500-pound gorilla in any discussion amongst people that fully understand. The dollar rises above all of them, no less vulnerable, but it rises above all of them because it is the currency. Rothschild cannot exercise a worldwide bankruptcy as he first fully intended to do. So in the meantime, what they do is they try to continue to control people, control the power, that in fact gives them control over the military of our nation, the greatest and most powerful nations throughout the world. Um, I'm probably talking in some circles and some mystery to any number of you who are listening. And I wish I could put, again, to use the word specificity, I wish I could put more specificity around it. The bottom line is I haven't got the great fear of the collapse of power that have been said by me as recent as I say six or eight months ago. I don't have that fear or concern. I view the dollar as being extremely strong, extremely powerful, if not the illusion of power, if not in reality. And nobody seems able to put it on paper if you go to the IMF and you go to the reports that are issued uh, relative to the debt of the world, the debt of the individual nations, yes, they're all dead. They're all finished. But nobody puts it out there in front of us to force a collapse because nobody fully understands the dynamics between the good faith and credit of those of us that back the United States dollar. We, we live in very interesting times, very interesting times. Man, I'm about to... May I comment about this, what you're saying? Say that again. You can make a comment about it. Just make one simple comment about it. Absolutely. Crypto, the cryptocurrencies are not a reaction to the U.S. dollar. The cryptocurrencies are a reaction to the failing yuan, the Japanese yen, European Union's uh, failure of the, of the euro, and the Indians' withdrawal of their currency from their own economy. I don't think you even want to be bothered with worrying about the currencies of Africa or South America. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of people recognize the Chinese currency, it, it, is, it is attached, it is pegged to U.S. dollars in a very non-linear way. And it isn't worth a dance. And anybody that knows about that also understands that where, whereas... Bitcoin is banned mostly in China. You know what country has the most use of Bitcoin in the world? 
China. China. 80% of the probably of all of the transactions happen in China. I didn't know there's nothing China. they can they can't do they can't do anything about it to stop it. Because it's and it's anonymous anonymized, not anonymous, anonymized. And so well we I, do I, hear I, about I, I don't know who you are, but and, and I'm out Jordan. But um, I'm, what is your understanding of the Chinese people's ability to use the internet in an unfettered way or an uncontrolled way? They work around it. They do not they do not go on conventional Chinese internet. They work around the internet. They so have the all channels. An institution that's unable to constrain the people to yeah. use only that uh, access that they provide. Correct. That is correct. I didn't know that either. That's interesting. Um, there's also there's also things that are happening out there. Alternative satellites. It's even better. I said that again. Alternative what? Satellite systems that will transmit uh, that transmit uh, internet. They're coming online right now. And who supported by the satellites? Who put those satellites up? An American who is doing it all over the Philippines, all over the European Union, and um, he's putting them outside of international waters and above the Chinese mainland. He's doing it right now. And he's doing it such a way. Back and I ask you, who is it that did this? Alterio. If you take a look at it, it's Alteri, the name of the company. I want more information. Yes, it's A L T E A R I. Um, basically, it's a satellite system that, um, and I give you more information about it, that does not use rockets. They can, they can lift the satellite 16 miles into the air and does everything that's the ones that are, you know, set up by rockets and, you know, that are thousands of miles off of, off of the, uh, the Earth that cost $300 million. But they can do it for under a million dollars. It's like a, it's like a large Zeppelin that you could you just pop them up. They are stationary. Uh, you kind of got me. Uh, that's, how do I spell their name? I will get to this. I mean, I don't have it right in front of me. I'm sitting in another part of my house. I'll send it to you tomorrow night or later on this evening. Um, but the man who designed them, developed them, built the MCI backbone. Way back when he's no kid, he's in the seventies. Not McGowan. Um, and so, not McGowan. is my brother who was it? I forget who the MCI guy. The guy's name is um, Walt Anderson. He built it. Walt Anderson. Okay. So you might just put, you might just Google Walt Anderson and satellite in front of you. Unless I mean, I can't remember right now. I passed the age of 60. My brain is not working very well right now. I'm also enjoying the first glass of wine I've had in months. So I'm not as lucid as I should be. But um, it's okay. I've been there a lot of times myself. <laughs> we just put Walter Anderson in, and I think it's Altari. I get the information later on. It's upstairs sitting in my office. Mary, and you'll see what you can for. in the largest tax evasion case in the United States history. Who was? Walter Anderson. He was in the communications business. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Could be the same guy as I know, as far as I know. He was a billionaire. Yeah, he was a salesman. Started out as a salesman at MCI Communications in 79. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Well, he's, sur- he's surrounded by former billionaires who will never build another business in this country, ever. International Space University. Yeah. Now, this stuff is real enough. Yeah. Um, but there's lots and lots of people out there that have, got, that have run afoul of the telecommunications industry, all kinds of industries, and rather than actually going after the real culprits like the banks, you have people like these guys who have been billionaires and uh, the uh, IRS decides to take him down. Regardless of what his prior history is, he's doing what I'm talking about right now. And he's not doing it in the U.S. I'm not so sure I understand what you say he's doing right now. He's really putting satellites up all the time, all over the world. Okay, putting the satellites up are good in some respects as long as they're done for good reasons. But what are the reasons these satellites are being put out into space? Well, basically they're being put up um, because, for example, in the Philippines they don't have a and a telecommunications infrastructure. So they can have telephone, television, and internet. So rather than putting up towers, both these over the top of the Philippines. And voila, you've got a satellite system. I'm trying to figure out how that plays with the uh, Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies. Well, how does that work with the Bitcoin and the other cryptocurrencies? Uh, it's just it's the same kind of thinking. You know, um, one alternative way to do it. That's all. Well, unrelated in some way. You know, you need something with substance. Bitcoin has the appearance of substance in my estimation today. I'm not so sure it really is a substance in the long run. I think that Bitcoin today is making its fortune and making its success based upon the hyperbole that surrounds the ultimate failure of the dollar. And I, I, I've come to believe that the ultimate failure of the dollar is an illusion. I don't think the dollar is set to fail. Now, anything can make okay. something fail if you get enough mass behind it. That's how mobs come to take over the streets. It right. doesn't mean it's right. It just means that you've got a lot of people scared. It's like our stock market. Our stock market doesn't move on the basis of real value. It, it well, moves on the basis of emotion. If we if we move back to the Bitcoin scenario, the former finance minister, happens to be in Texas, um, wanted to turn Cyprus and Greece um, uh, into Bitcoin territory. They wanted to actually adopt Bitcoin as a currency. It didn't happen for a lot of reasons. But I think that where currencies have totally failed, like places like Cyprus, places like Greece and Venezuela. We'll adopt these currencies pending some other better alternative. Places like Cyprus and Greece continue to take on more and more debt using the euro, and it's not doing them any good. This makes the problem ever increasingly more dire. I don't think there's anybody out there that's stupid enough to challenge the U.S. government's military prowess. And those that try to do that end up in places like in Iraq, in holes in the ground, and things like that. Every time we, they try and wipe out currency, U.S. Well, currency, they, they end up meeting the U.S. government, and it's in the field. 
with this discussion about Iraq, uh, I've watched this over the years, and I've seen people got actually psychotic over the dinar. Um, just sure. as an aside to come back, though, one of the interesting things is your friend uh, Walter Anderson, he was requested, he was demanded by the U.S. tax court in uh, March of 11. March is one of the humorous things here. here. Here's a guy, an alleged tax chief that was ordered right. by the U.S. March of 2011. Uh-huh. Pay 247, 248, 960. Let's make it 250 million dollars mm-hmm. to the IRS to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, on September 7th in 2012, the United mm-hmm. States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit upheld the tax court's uh, ruling. Meanwhile, he's in jail. Okay, right. and the right. penalty for 1995 through 1999. Mm-hmm. So he went to. He went to jail someplace in um, 11, uh-huh. and he was re- released from jail on December 28, 2012, a year later. There are people yeah. with $80,000 penalties that go to jail for three and five years, and right. here's a guy with $250 million in alleged tax uh, revenues. He's in and out in jail in the federal prison in a year. It's fascinating when I see something like this. Yeah, it's kind of uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't call it. The oil in Iraq is used allegedly to back certain amounts of debt, whether it's for Iraq or right. the United States, I don't know. Sure. I, sure. I, I watch what our country does. Our country gives the resources of a country we conquer or we take over and we give it back to the country as we, mm-hmm. as we have done with Iraq. We may move some of our people in or take percentages of it, but our country never really takes the spoils of war. Right. On the other hand, all of the so-called debt that we have as a nation, right. if we took it and were to use the oil in the ground that we have in fact found in the last 20 years from Prudhoe Bay out through the Dakotas, um, we could pay off all of that debt with the assets we have in the ground, the black the black gold, as it's called, because sure. the gold in the ground that was used to back money up through the 1930s, 1940s, is now changed from gold into oil. Right. And right. oil has now been found in new quantities to offset this debt. Right out here, when we look at these minerals, these in-the-ground minerals, there's a dynamic that is, I want to say, I don't want to tell you it's impossible from what I see, though, I don't see anybody being able to quantify any of these minerals in the ground as justification for the debt of the nation. And oil is the primary. Oil, without a doubt, is turned into the primary backer or Mm -hmm. the primary uh, hypothecate, if I can use that word, hypothecate meaning to pledge, um, and to pay the, the debt of a nation. Now, there was a fear on my part for years, fear is a bad word, but there was a concern on my part that whoever owned our debt would be able to take over our oil resources and own right. the ground and right. more than pay off their debt and then be able to control the rest of the world for the issuance or the sale or the provision of that oil, that fuel, right, and it right. has not come to pass. Our nation is still standing here alone, singularly able to support itself, and not, and I don't see, I'm not telling you for sure, it's my opinion, 
But I don't see any place where we are in fear of losing our control over our currency, and the currency, again, is the de facto currency of the world. Of course, Rothschild had set out back in the 1700s to control this nation and its military by subterfuge, the best way to describe it, the formation of the Federal Reserve with a virus within its regulations. And the virus was a simple fact. It was the third word of the Federal Reserve Code. It was the creation of an instrument of debt that they usually do, they routinely do, they create debt as a weapon of war. And the Federal Reserve was, in fact, the ultimate weapon of war. Because the more we issued that that weapon of war, the more we would control the nations that would, in fact, take that note. And if you had a country, whether it was Namibia, whether it was Nigeria, whether it was France, whether it was Japan, and it would use that Federal Reserve note or absorb it or take it in exchange for, they were then subject to the influence and control of the United States because there's no better space than to control an enemy or anyone else than to, in fact, be in them. And Rothschild understood that. And the United States Federal Reserve note has been used down through the past 150 years for that purpose. Today, it's a different ballgame with the Bitcoins and all of these other cryptocurrencies, but more importantly, with the assets we find in the ground. Gold used to be, and we hear these stories about the Malaysian and the Suharto debt and the papers that surround uh, 1 or 2.4 million tons of metric tons of, of gold in the world. That's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Right. Right. The total amount of gold in the world since the beginning of time is no more than about 170 if you want, and you push somewhere around 200,000 tons of gold. Sure. That's a drop in the pocket. You couldn't control the debt of the world on the basis of that. Of course not. We're all focused on gold being the thing that controls the world, and whoever has the most gold will control it. It's a bunch of bullshit. A bunch of, of total bullshit. We're so far beyond the amount of gold in the world being able to control the debt of the world, that you now have to start looking in the ground as to what remains in the ground. Are they looking at our golden ground? No, you can't, because we don't know. But guess what? We know how much oil we have. We don't know amount can be found over the next year, next 10, or next 50 years. But right now, we can look at the amount of oil in the ground unremoved, still there. And we can say, that's the target. That is a real target. That's why I think Bitcoin, oil, cryptocurrencies, again, they function off of the emotion of those that don't understand. And I'll be the last one to tell you on the paragon of understanding. I think think you're right. I think you're right. I think think you're right about every other currency currency but the dollar. The dollar is a reserve currency. Uh, It's been a reserve currency since the late 40s. And we use military power to back it up. Um, and we don't use our own oil, which we have tons of in this country. We do. So we have more than enough oil to run this country for the next 200 years. Of course. And so I think that things like Bitcoin, all the other currencies, are a reaction to all the other currencies trying to challenge or try to stay alive in the context of U.S. dollar. And it's just not happening. Um, and so that being the case, uh, 
Bitcoin and the rest of these currencies will take over those places where the currencies are very, very weak. And the dollar doesn't really give a damn about anything, much of anything about it. So I think that for the time being, you know, uh, the dollar will remain supreme worldwide. Because even Bitcoin itself is convertible to dollars and not much of anything else in terms of getting out into the real world. It's trapped. Bitcoin is trapped between the dollar and itself because all the other currencies that, it, that Bitcoin can convert to aren't worth anything in terms of commerce, okay? So, you know, I agree with you that the dollar doesn't, doesn't really have a, a challenge at this point. The BRIC company, the BRIC countries would like to do that. It's not happening. They're trying India, Brazil, China, Russia. They're not much of a much of a of a, of a, a challenge to the U.S. Bricks, U.S. dollar. The BRICS the BRICS issue itself is uh, an illusion. Yeah, it is an illusion. It is an illusion. It has a following. It, it does have a following. Yeah, of course. And and the only thing that challenges anything to do with the dollar is the euro, and it failed. So you know, it failed years and years ago. And uh, it's just a matter of, uh, wasn't a matter of, Time. did it fail? It's just a matter of when somebody will bring flowers to the, to the wake. To the so you can't have one currency worldwide. You have to have a multiplicity of currencies. And some are going to succeed, some are going to fail. And that's where Bitcoin fills in the gaps. That's why it's so small, you know? I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but at the same time, I'm going to say that it's the darling of the moment. Sure. Um, there, there are so many people out that are disenchanted with uh, the dollar or with the situation and conditions of the world with currency and debt. Because currency today, pe- people call what we have as, as a dollar, we call it money, and it's not. not they not. fail to recognize that it is, number one, not money. Money is right. a store of value. The dollar is not right. a store of value. The dollar fiat. Yeah. No, it's a note. Anybody that signs a note tells you it's not money. If you can sign it over, endorse it, and give it to somebody as money, it's only as good as the person it's indebted from who's going to pay against it. And the dollar has the best track record, but still it's only a note. It's a representation of the debt of the United States or, if you will, the United States of America, a significantly different entity, which no one really takes a close look at. That's probably, if we look, if we step back and we want to know as much as we can about this issue, we would begin to define the difference between or the distinction between the United States and the United States of America. That was one of the more brilliant things that came out of the bankruptcy that Rothschild had planned for this nation. And that bankruptcy produced another principle called the United States of America or the United States, depending upon who you want to believe or what you want to believe, was the principal prior or back in 1776-1789 when the Constitution was written for the United States or the United States of America. It was a time I would jump up and say one instead of the other. Today, I don't claim to know which one was, in fact, the principal at that time in history. I just know that today we have two of them working off of each other, and it becomes almost irrelevant. We can get into who, who, who's responsible to pay a traffic fine 
because the government of the of a given state or a given municipality doesn't have the actual constitutional authority to issue a levy, a violation, and a fine against somebody for speeding. Yeah. Now, yeah, we could say no, but the reality is all of us who are sensible and civilized want that municipality to have that right, but really do they have the right? It's, it becomes irrelevant. Let them continue issuing right. it. What, what we get into is the distinction between the United States and the United States of America and the efficacy of the United States Constitution. Um, it, it's, it's one of the more brilliant things that Rothschild has, in fact, done to our nation. And they, I don't believe, did it. I think these were some of the solutions that good people who were elected to our Congress in those times came up with at that moment. And, you know, I don't believe too many people are elected to our government that start out with a corrupt idea of what they want to accomplish. I think they come in with all sorts of good intentions. And then not all of them, but many of them are corrupted in the process. So I, I, we live in an interesting world and in an interesting time. But the bottom line is today the United States is here strictly at the convenience of Israel. Israel is the bubble of pus on the planet we call Earth that is at the root of virtually every fucking conflict there is in the world. Now, that doesn't mean they start the problems in Sudan. I believe they do. It doesn't mean they start the problems in uh, England or Britain, rather, or in Europe or where I think they do. The Mossad is one of the more accomplished false flag beginners operations that has ever existed in the history of the world. I think I think though there is there is some backlash to that. Okay. Um, I've lived in and around you should be. I've lived lived in in and around Washington DC for the past twenty years approximately. And what's happened here is very interesting. All security services, including the Pentagon, a lousy man by Mormons. They oh, run everything. Mormons. Oh. Mormons. They control everything. Well, I, I I have not done any kind of research on that, so I won't disagree with you, and I can't agree with you because it seems so far-fetched. It does. Um, I know it does. I know it yeah. does. But yet the second largest enclave of Mormons does not happen to be outside of Salt Lake City. It's Washington, D.C. And it's so... It's so aggressive that when you go on the beltway you will see that this big white tower with an angel or so a so-called angel moroni and gold that dominates the landscape on the beltway it's the biggest the biggest mormon temple outside of, of uh, salt lake city you know what the church is in in mormon utah don't you of course what's the church's name a lot of day saints, the Church of Jesus Christ, a lot of day saints. No. The interesting thing is they've named what they believe in or where they, they emanate from is Zion, Z-I-O-N. Oh, sure. Which are the first four letters of Zionism and where the Jews come from, where the Jews today would have you believe they come from. The Jews today, they're, they're, they're all... They're all atheists. They have very little, if any, belief in a, a religious background or a political yeah. system. They, Remember they, ben, ben Shapiro who talks about this. He's a 35-year-old. Ben Shapiro talks about this. 35-year-old guy 
that is on YouTube. He's um, well, I see Ben Shapiro on Fox too. He's a very smart guy. He's yeah, really, yeah, I just like him actually. Yeah, he's a very smart man. Um, if you go to Salt Lake City, which I've begun driving to many, many times, you'll find many, many Jews there. Um, former Jews. They're really still Jewish. They've been you know, tattooed. There's no such thing as being still Jewish. You can't resign. I get it. I understand. They, they try. They try and hide behind what they call themselves, and yet they are. You know, they're there. Now, are you Jewish by any chance? No, I'm not. I've been raised as a Roman Catholic, but I think maybe I'm Jewish. Possibly. Grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> very similar. I was raised as an Irish Catholic, and I think, in fact, I've had people ask me, "Are you Jewish?" I believe I'm a New Yorker. That's the problem. You know, everybody thinks that being born in Brooklyn. You know, in the in the Methodist hospital, living on King's Highway until I was about three or four, actually two or three. Everybody right. assumed they were either Italian or Jewish. My yeah. folks are from. There is an affinity between two of them too. There really is. Yeah. But, um, but I was right. I was I was raised. I was raised in the Jewish community. Yes, I was raised in Syracuse, Oyster Bay, North Shore of Long Island. My father's business partners in Long Island City were all Jewish, and the construction trades in the city were all Jewish, as you probably know. Right. And I met my mentors, my mentors for 30 years. Of course, my father too. He would tell me, if you want to learn business, to work with the Jews. I said, okay, let me do it. That's what I did. So, you know, um, the thing is that. Um, you have a lot of things that are coming to a head right now in this country. Um, and that is the polarization of all the groups. They're being outed because we have so much telecommunications. You under, begin to understand the difference between people. There isn't this great mass of it's a morphous U.S. anymore. You can actually see... I'm sorry, say that again one more time, the last statement you made. I don't think, it's, I don't think that the United States is this amorphous, you know, salad of people anymore. It's, it's, you can begin to see the attitudes of people from community to community, from religious sect to religious sect, the sociological um, uh, orientation to orientation, from you know, place to place. You see exactly who people are these days. Where in the past, you didn't have enough information. Now you do. You have a lot more information well, about things. Information, I would suggest, is, is important, but not as important as it is today. I think right. 35 years ago, uh, we would have all looked at each other and said, we're all Americans under the skin. Today, sure. we have been purposefully balkanized by this force that I speak of. Sure. And you cannot overcome a, a group of people when they're unified. I mean, it's the old adage, you, you divide sure. and conquer. And we right. have been divided, balkanized, whether it's been gender, whether it's been religion, whether it's been color, whether it's been anything, we have been balkanized very effectively. But I also see some hope, and I don't know where that hope is going to evolve to, that we will come together under the banner of being Americans again. I don't yeah. know that's happened. I see a little bit of it, a little bit of motion towards it, but I'm fearful for Trump because what he's doing in a macro way in ways right. that are not viewed by maybe people who would understand what I'm saying, what he's doing is, in fact, exposing what you and I are now speaking about, and that's not keeping in line with what our adversaries want. 
This nation well, was past its point of usefulness. Israel is independent militarily. It can, in fact, take down any of its neighbors and possibly a much larger, a much larger military by itself. Right. So the need for the U.S. is strictly right now to maybe destroy Iran. That's the last thing that they need us to do. At right. that point in time, the Israeli military becomes totally independent and the U.S. loses its usefulness. We are then shed like a skin from a molten snake. And Rothschild okay. moves on. They're right now beginning to cultivate a relationship within China. Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone Group has begun his Schwartzman University. Steve Schwartzman right. University. And they've got right. six, 800 students from around the world, Chinese including, uh, in Beijing, being brought to bear in China as a cultural force that will go out sure. within China. Not all of them. Many of them will come back to their native homelands. We'll begin the process of being able to destabilize China and reform it into something different. Now, sure. I'm not sure that I fully understand how Chinese communism has come to evolve where uh, a Jack what's his name from Alibaba, Jack Law, and then thousands of others have come to be extremely wealthy in a communist nation when capitalism was, uh, let's say, looked down upon. They are capitalists. Well, at the same time, Steve, Steve Schwartzman is the, he's the point. He's the point. One of the things that, that, that you need to understand is, and I've been there many times, is Hong Kong was never, ever a communist. Uh, oriented place. It no, is probably it the most capitalist place on, on the planet. Very and so, basically, it was an apology for sort of a sneak attack on the Chinese mainland to bring actual wealth to the country by, by going via Hong Kong. Well, Hong Kong, so, Hong Kong was to be given back to the Chinese for over 70 years. There was a... There was of course. A, a, a 99-year lease. Was the ninety nine yeah and and it ended but you know what despite the fact that the lease ended nothing really changed you've been there and I've been there many 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 times nothing's changed so the banks or the big bank is still there they are operate they operate unfettered the big insurance organizations operate from there there's sort of a the in, an in your face Bermuda or Turks and Caicos Islands or the, or the Philly Islands you know off, off the coast of Britain. But in fact, they really actually run most of the commerce within China today. So you're Hong Kong was a Trojan horse. Of course. Tiny, tiny little Hong Kong. I'm not going to disagree with you, by the way. I'm not. I'm thinking about that. I'm trying to. I'm trying to take. Um, I once worked for a guy by the name of Hank Greenberg. You sure. know that name. Yeah, I yeah, I know. And Hank, Hank built, helped build a business with Stevie Star in Shanghai. Thank you. In China. And at one time, when, when Hank was in power, we were, when I worked for him, the largest insurance entity in the world. What did you do when you worked with Hank Greenberg at AIG? I, 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 I actually helped build AIG oil rig. <laughs> AIG what? Oil, oil rig? Yeah, because AIG oil rig. We okay. ensured all the oil was worldwide. Oh, okay. We <laughs> ensured. All right. I understand. 
<laughs> I understand. You get it, right? Well, so, I, I know Hank Greenberg from a different perspective. Aside from being a client, he wasn't what his company was mm-hmm. for about, I guess, six or seven years down on Pine Street right. in New York. Um, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I think it was 70 Pine Street. Maybe you can tell me I'm correct. It's, it's, it's 70 Pine Street and 108 Maiden Lane. With 108 Maiden Lane with the big... Yeah, 70 Pine and one side was... Um, one side was uh, 70 Pine, the other side was 108 Maiden Lane. It was right. the same Two addresses. On the same building. You remember you when you went to the building... You had a conversation with somebody tonight like that, did you? No. So when you go into the building, you'll, you'll, remember, you'll remember the guy that sold the newspapers and the candy store and all that kind of thing. And you remember the elevators. The I elevators are all in, in relief. That very clearly. I agree with that. Right there in the lobby. Right. Beautiful place. <laughs> oh, God. But Hank <laughs> Greenberg had an instrumental part in the meltdown of our currency back in 2006 and seven. Hank Greenberg had AIG Financial Products. It was a separately owned uh, entity, if you will, wholly owned, but separate. In, and it was in London. It was headquartered right. in London. And it, was, focused, it traded only on the credit default swaps. He traded. Right. He, yes. And it was those credit default swaps that melted the United States down in 2008, and therefore forward, and it was a, a credit default swaps that we used to gamble against the mortgages, the subprime mortgage-backed securities that were put out from about uh, 1981, 1983. That was one of the more brilliant things that they did with weapons of debt, they meaning well, these Jews, these particular Jews, this Jewish mafia. One of the things that happened, one of the things that happened is that they came to realize, and I stopped looking for them. I worked at CIT Financial for Tony Edelson, and, I, and, I was bought, and we were bought up by Aon when the next company I moved on to. One of the things that happened was that Hank Greenberg realized he was not big enough to control the debt, the, the, the CDOs, and he tried to get out, and he couldn't. So they tried when to get him in out from remembrance. When, when did he try to get out? 2001, 2002. 2003. That was, before, that was before my tracking of his activity in it. He tried to get out, and, and he was told, you're in it forever. You cannot get out. Who told him to that? What it, Treasury. The U.S. Treasury? Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. I'll take your word on it, but... I don't, so, I don't see that. The reason why, the reason why, it supported what was going on with Alan Greenspan, who was still there. That was the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, the so, thing they all had in they all had in common was the one thing of being Israeli citizens. That's that's one of the things that are lost on our uh, leadership today is that. Well, you do realize that Hank is still, Hank is still around, right? You want to say Hank is still here? Hank is still around. Oh yeah, despite he the fact that he, he runs, he runs, he runs TV Star. He and what? He runs TV Star. Okay, right I'm not familiar with that. 
I know that I know that uh, uh, what was the name of the governor in there in New York that went after him, but that was all for facade. That was all for show. Now you're talking about the guy that, that the former attorney general got caught in a, in a sex problem, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, he's down. He came and, down in Washington. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Anyway, um, his son, uh, Hank's son's um, own ace which was down in Bermuda, which is now in, located in New York, the largest reinsurance company in the world, makes Buffett look like a pimple. And um, his other son, that was, that, was the, that was the Evan, and the other son, Jeff, ran Marshall Klein, the largest insurance brokerage in the world. Used to be one of my clients. Both, both of, neither one of them are in, in insurance business anymore, I believe. At least they'd have to believe they're not in the insurance business. But they're interesting people. Um, I never found anything wrong with what they were doing. Well, you thought they were doing made perfect sense. You would never see it. It was not. It was not meant for the public eye in the form that it was being used. Perhaps, perhaps. Um, the only time that I ever saw any abuse that I physically saw was when we were providing insurance for the South American continent. We would build. Um, power plants and other things to run the, the utilities in the country. And I saw um, that we would have 90% of the money go to U.S. contractors to build these facilities, places like Venezuela. 9% of it would go to bribes to the, to the governments there. And 1% would go to the benefit of the people. But 100% of the debt became the debt of Venezuela. So you can see why Chavez emerged as a leader because the message got through, hey, wait a minute, the U.S. has taken over this country de facto uh, by what we, they've done with our infrastructure. Um, well, I would have a question, though. Did the, did the federal government of the United States sanction or steer this, this event to happen the way it did? No. Or was it being done independent by people within AIG, meaning Hank Greenberg? Independent. Yes. So what you've got here is you've got a group of people. Greenberg is part of what I would call, or even Winston Churchill would have called 1920, a syndicate of Jews. There is a mafia. They're Jews. Sure. They have that in common. And they use debt as a weapon. And what they've done is manage to put themselves into positions of legitimate business people, and then they rape, pillage, and steal whatever they can. I agree. There's a larger goal. The larger goal is to make sure you have the power to control the military of the country that you're running, the United sure. States being the most prominent. So sure. what, what Churchill uncovered back in 1920 continues today. Mm-hmm. And right. we don't look at it that way because they're in legitimate businesses. They're doing credit default swaps. Well, creating them, creating them, milk and creating you'll them. Remember, you'll remember that the, the, the development of Israel was put, foretold by Disraeli, who was the Prime Minister of England. He wrote a note. Well, he, he may have spoken of it, but the re- reality was the, the Balfour Declaration in November of 17 was the, was the tipping point. That was the That's beginning right. of Israel. That's right. And then That's the right. final was in November of, uh, really, May of 47, with UN Resolution 181. So it was a 40-year event to create it, but but the, the, the 
the impetus to create it started in 1897, right. and even before with the first World Zionist Congress in, in uh, Basel, Switzerland. Mm-hmm. But it all functions, it all happens, it all comes together because of the use of debt and how debt leverages power within certain nations, not mm-hmm. the least of which is the United States, also in Britain. They're extremely brilliant. They're no different than any other criminal syndicate out there, except they're more brutal and they're mm-hmm. more brutal. And they're major, they're major, let's say camouflage, is the claim of anti-Semitism to anyone who speaks up against them. Well, I think that one of the things that, you know, you'll have the time this evening, need to examine more closely, is the difference between Zionists sociological and religious Jews. And those that, that were born to, to Jewish women could be anything. But the fact is that New York is full of Zionists. And they run the banks, some of them, and in London. Sociological Jews don't believe in anything. They don't give a damn about it, except when they're attacked. You know, you know basically... You know, if you're told, if you disagree with them, when I was a kid on Long Island, you know, I was told I was anti-Semitic because I disagreed with what they had to say about anything. You know, it could, be, it could be the time of day. You know what I mean? It could be the time of day. Didn't matter. You, you would, you would have, you would have fun when I'm with a stranger who happens to be a Jew, and they turn to me and they look at me and say, "That's an anti-Semitic thing to say," and I would mm-hmm. turn back at them and I say. Well, can you define who a Semite is? Of course. And they looked at me and they say, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what's a Semite? And they say, I'm Semite. I'm a Semite. I'm Semitic. I said, really? I said, what makes you a Semite? And they start to stumble. And Gordon, the interesting thing, the interesting thing, and I'm going to try to teach everybody or anyone that's listening on here as well as yourself. What's your first name, by the way? Alfred. Alfred. Mine's Patrick. Um, everyone assumes that anti-Semitism is anti-Jewish. Right, right. Well, you know, that's, that's more interesting than it sounds on the surface because there isn't a Jew alive today that's a Semite. Right. The Jews are all Russians. And Actually, the, 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 Ukrainian, the Ukrainians. The Kazanians are all from that same geography. Yeah, the Khazars. They're all Khazars. Oh, we we got to go back to the time of Christ. I spent seven months researching this in 2005, four, four and five. And you got to go back to the time of Jesus Christ. And uh, it, it finally got framed one day. I, I went to the back of the church. Uh, I was in the 7 o'clock Mass. At the mm-hmm. end of Mass, I went back to the, the priest. My wife said to me, she was going out the front. She was going to talk to Father. And she says, oh, and she knew what my subject was. She hates the subject still. Well, not so much today. She finally understands where I'm at. And I went back and I said, Father, I said, I have a a theological question for you. And he says, well, you're a jackpot. I said, what's a jackpot? He says, I'm the theological scholar for the cardinal in in the archdiocese. So I said, wonderful. So I went through it and I said, you you did the homily in the gospel and you used the word Jew and Hebrew interchangeably. And it was a real watershed morning mass for me because I had been looking for this answer for almost six, seven months. And Where were you at the time? Where were you at the time? Was, Who were you talking to? What, what part of New York? 
gave who gave the uh, the the gospel in the homily that morning. So the Kellenberg? You talking to Kellenberg people? No, 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 no. This is a local local priest where I live. Okay. You're not talking about Kellenberg, right? No, I don't. I don't. Okay. So that was anyway, Nassau County. Anyway. No, 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 no. This is I'm not, I'm not in New York anymore. So I, I said to him, I said, um, I, I need to understand something. I said, Jesus Christ was born as a Hebrew. More specifically, he was a Pharisee. And he said, Pharisee. Yes, yeah, right. And I said, Pharisee, when we go to the, uh, the, the dictionary, we find out Pharisee means hypocrite. And he looked and he says, really? I said, yes. I said, you're the scholar. You should know this. I said, what I'd like to know, though, is if the Jews were not part of the lexicon, if the word Jew was not part of the lexicon of any language in the world until the mid-400s A.D., after the death of Jesus, I said, right. when, how, and why did the Hebrews ever become known as the Jews? Well, he looked at me quizzically. He's six foot four. He's a little taller than I was, 100 pounds heavier, taking off his Franciscan robe and, um, and, and getting into what we would call civvies, got his sandals on. And he yeah. looked at me a second, and, and he, he launches into this explanation that, um, well, you know, when the rabbis went out and taught in the communities, I said, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute, you're a scholar. I said, there were no rabbis at the time of Jesus Christ. Right. There were priests. And he looks at right. me with a little bit of a quizzical look. He says, you know, you're absolutely right about that. I says, I'm not here to teach you, Father, but I'm here to make sure you're staying on the right track. So he launches into this 90-minute, 90-second uh, discussion, and he says, and they went around, they talked, they did this, they went to community, community. And then he finishes with a big flourish. And I said to him, I said, Father, I said, it's a good thing that both of us are Irish. <laughs> and there's a woman putting the host and the wine away in the back of the sacristy. And he says, well, why? So I said, well, it would take one Irishman to bullshit another Irishman as well as you just did now and expect to get away with it. Well, she laughed. He looked at me with a grin and he said, was it that obvious? And I said, as obvious as a fart in a two-man elevator. I said, right. there were no Jews at the time of Jesus Christ. He was a Hebrew. He never was a right. Jew. Never. And today, the Jews are not the Hebrews of antiquity. The Hebrews no. of antiquity are the Palestinians who are trying to be, or at least the Jews in Israel, the Zionists, whatever we want to call them, are trying to wipe out and off the face of the earth so that they can legally claim the land without having any forebears around to claim ownership of that dirt. So you get into the basics of the word Jew, and you find out that it's all a fraud. And you sit back and you say, holy sugar, how in the world could I have been conned so well? So I left that, I left that February morning. It was 2006. I left that mm-hmm. February morning. In sure. church, and I said, now that I've got this pinned down, I need, I really understand, I believe I understand it, I'm going to be a, a raving lunatic if I tell anybody this. I can't get this out. I'm writing a book. I've been writing a book for a while about it. And lo and behold, in October of 2006, Shlomo Sand, a tenured professor of history at the University of Tel Aviv, lived in Paris and in Tel Aviv, and taught in the University of Tel Aviv, writes a book, and he had it translated. He had written the book prior to then, but he translated it and had it then 
published in the United States called The Invention of the Jewish People. They never fucking invent, they never they never existed as a people. Never. Right. According to his right. research and development of peoples throughout the world. Very difficult read. He's a very very scholarly guy. Very hard to read book. But he hits it right on on a nail on the head. Since then he's renounced his Judaic background. He can't renounce his being Jewish because you're Jewish no. by birth. I try. Yeah, I'm aware. And the Jews today have got the biggest con job going on, but they're not all bad people. They're not all guilty. They're not all members of this syndicate. Well, right may I make a suggestion? make a suggestion to you. Pardon? I'd like you to, like you to contact Ben Shapiro. Yep. That's how he's talking to you about this. Get hold of these people. They just can't. They, I can't get a hold of them. Sure, you can. I'd go to New York and camp out on his doorstep. Maybe he's in. He's in L.A. Yeah, uh, is that where he's, that's where he's broadcast from? That's where he's from. Oh, Los Angeles. But I mean, when he's on Fox, he's being, he's in their studio out now. No, he's not, he's not, he's not, he has his own, his own network. Okay. He's okay. in Breitbart. He's a Breitbart guy that set up his Breitbart and quit. Okay. Um, he's not, a, he will tell you, I don't give a shit about you. I don't care about anything you have to say. I deal with facts. I don't believe, I don't believe in emotion. Let's talk. That's how he starts off. Well, my kind uh, of guy. I like that. <laughs> and he's the smartest 35-year-old person I've ever, met, ever, ever listened to in my life. It's amazing. And he will talk to you about what you're talking about, specifically. He'll talk, he'll talk about Christian values as a Jew. That the Jewish people have lost Christian values, or we've lost our values. The majority of Jews today are atheists. There's no religious underpinning. Right. He believes in pure pro-life in Israel. Israel. He's pro-life. State. I know. He's pro. He's pro-life. He's pro-interaction. Inter- he's pro-personal rights, etc. Anti-abortion, all that kind of thing. Very interesting fellow. Um, in fact, he's a very interesting person. Uh, he's on. He's on YouTube. Check some of this stuff out. I mean, no, Fox. I, I try to stay away from Fox these days. I'm actually tuning into the other networks to understand Fox the other side. There's no understanding the other side. They're, they're all full of crap. Um, yeah, um, I uh, I do see him when I do watch Fox, and uh, mm-hmm. he is interesting. He's younger, and I respect his statements when he makes them. But I haven't followed him to the degree you're going to make me interested in following him from here forward. There's another guy that I, that I like out there. His name is Napolitano. Um, he's good. He's good. Um, he gets fired from Fox because he decided to tell the truth about three years yeah. ago. He gets fired from it every other year <laughs> for saying telling the truth. Interesting person. But I like your perspective, your perspective, your point of view about the money supply, about people who really hide behind the religion in order to try and rule the world. And um, I think that you're right about the dollar. I think I know you're right about the dollar. But I think that a lot of stuff that we're seeing right now is the emergence of people organically trying to get into things that otherwise they couldn't, they couldn't get involved with. No way of say, oh, that's putting the currency. Rejection of the dollar, which does happen, is happening emotionally. Sure. The, emo- the dollar is more strong today than it's been probably in 50 years. I agree. I agree. Um, however, if we lose our military, we're screwed. 
the military has been defanged. Obama was Israel's first real president. And in, okay. in being the first real president that was there at Israel's request, Israel's manipulation, David Axelrod being the key player, mm-hmm. um, the goal was to defang the U.S. military. And it doesn't sound, sounds counterproductive to Israel's needs because the U.S. military is what's needed to finish off Iran to allow Israel to emerge as the leading uh, entity in the Middle East. Um, my instinct is all of that's been carefully calibrated so that we could, in fact, go to war, destroy Iran, and then wind up being pretty much defrocked. Uh, well, the emergence of Trump as president screwed the plans up enormously. I mean, the, uh, Hillary Clinton was planned. She was planned to be president, and she would have been totally under the control. Well, you know... Um, I live. I live right now in, in, in most of Potomac, which is on one side of the Potomac River, to to, to uh, McLean. But I could walk to the CIA in about 50 seconds if I wanted to. It would take me 10 minutes actually. But this is a completely different world over here, and it's so military, so organized, et cetera. Nothing will happen in this country that will destabilize the nation unless these guys are knocked out of power. If things go really badly, the CIA is here, the NSA is here, they're all here. Joint Chief, they're all here. That's Colin Powell is in the claim, where I'm living right now. They're all here. They're ready to go. They know that the American people are confused and upset, etc. They also understand that, that Hillary should never have been put out there. But they know something is up. They're not quite sure what it is. You know, um, I don't know what, is it, what it is. Um, I've been here for five months, and we're ready to move back to Maryland. God help us. Um, and so, I don't know. Um, we are becoming much more of a Britain than, than we are the United States, um, meaning that central control in this country is becoming much more palatable and more potent than ever I've ever seen before in my life. And it's spoken about openly. Central control. Total control. Yeah, I'm I'm not so sure that's not an oxymoron. Oh, you mean the George George Bush Center for Intelligence is not an oxymoron? (laughs) Who? Say that again? The George Bush Center for Intelligence is not not an oxymoron? When, right when you drive the GW Parkway, it's the George Bush Center for Intelligence. If that's a Nazi Moore, I don't know why. Bush is as corrupt as any president we could have ever had, a whole bunch of them. And uh, to have them out of the mainstream is probably a big plus for this nation. Um, I don't know what your opinion is of the uh, event 9-11. I don't know if you understand what really took place there. Or well, let me just say this to you. My father was in, the, was in the construction business in New York City. We had a factory to put in the air conditioning system in all the towers. You had a what? Every single, we put an air conditioning system in every single one of the towers. All of them. Okay. The ductwork, et cetera. I was, right. I was paying payroll to the construction workers, and they wouldn't take our check it's a cash. Right. So I, I live on down the city with a guard, an armed guard, 
take the car over, over the bridge into into Manhattan and deliver right. the, uh, the the payroll. Sure. My my father, when nine one one happened, he the first thing he said. And my father was retired for about thirty or forty years. He said, "This is bullshit." Never said another word about it. Wouldn't talk about it. This is impossible. Nine eleven. Yeah, this is impossible. And then he said, "Building seven? Said, are you kidding?" He, he couldn't talk about it at all. I put. He knew. I put six. I put six million dollars worth of furnishings in building seven. I was the prime supplier of furnishings for Solomon Brothers. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll elucidate. I'll, I'll, I'll brighten you up. Solomon Brothers was the exclusive bidder of Federal Reserve debt since ah. 19, 1930s. Right. The, the bids, and they bid the debt. You bid right. debt to the lowest interest rate, and the bids right. were rigged from 1930s forward. Mm-hmm. Solomon Brothers got caught rigging the bids in 1991. They built yeah. those bills in 1987. I furnished them in 1988 through 1991 for Solomon right. Brothers and for tenants. They, building 7 was one of the reasons for 9-11, not one of the results. Of oh, I agree. I agree. I agree. I can prove that. Um... So when the buildings came down, my father said it was impossible for this to happen the way it happened. And I realized that. It was, an, it was a controlled implosion, buildings coming down. But of course, most of America, not understanding anything about architecture and about construction, wouldn't know the difference. Nope. So they rely upon that. Right? Um, and then it was so bad that when the new building has gone up since, that the insurance companies actually screwed the ownership of the building. So was the silver scenes out of Australia, out of building another another World Trade World Trade Center there. They built no. one building, you know? Frank Lowy Frank Lowy was Silverstein's uh syndicate partner, if you will, from Australia. And right. he's a uh, shopping center developer. But uh Lowen's mm-hmm. uh, um, Hank Lowenstein he he is not he's not Australian. He's a New Yorker. Right. Silverstein. Okay. What am I saying? What they, what they did. What they did was, when the builders came down, they said there was one event, and they were only going to pay on one event. Of course, there were multiple. He eventually remember that? won. Yeah, no, I do remember it very well. They did win. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was a completely. They only laid out a couple of hundred million, if not even a hundred million. They were. They laid out half of what should have been laid out. Do you know? Know who won the bid to own the World Trade Center before Hank Silverstein stepped in and took it in July of 2001? I don't know. No, I don't know. Okay. Hello in New York that's larger than Trump, worth twice or three times as much, but likes his anonymity. His name is Steve Roth. Oh, okay. Steve, Steve Roth took over uh, two guys with another group of people. They picked up 8% mm-hmm. of the stock back in the mm-hmm. 70s. And mm-hmm. they did a hostile takeover of two guys for the sake of the real estate. And then he began sure. developing real estate in New York City. Steve mm-hmm. was my next-door neighbor. I know Steve personally years and years ago, no longer. 
But mm-hmm. if you take a look at Steve and his picture today, and you take a look at Steve, uh, Steve and his picture today, and you take a look at any one of two or three of the Rothschilds, you have to ask questions. If Steve Roth is not a direct descendant of the Rothschild family, nah. Steve Roth was supposed to take over the World Trade Center up until February of 2001, when he announced he had won the bid in November of 2000, and he announced in February of 2001, I don't think I want this deal. The numbers don't add up. And if you knew Steve, that didn't fit. Steve would never do anything where the numbers didn't add up. I think Steve got cold feet because he was told or did know what was going to happen and backed out and let Silverstein take it because he was the backup bidder at the time when Silverstein lost the bid in November of 2000. We were, we were, we were the builders. We became the city of Tishman. Yeah, no, Tishman didn't win. Tishman was a client of mine. Tishman did not win. No. Nope. So Tishman, no. And they thought they were so smart. They weren't. But they're pretty powerful, powerful people. But we, very, very powerful. We ended up selling ourselves to Tishman um, during this period. And then my father decided to hide in Maine for the rest of his life. Hide <laughs> where? In Maine. Oh. Hey, Al. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, uh, even put a bow tie around this. We're coming to the top of the hour. So it be a good, uh, even though Pat was on late, uh, it's a good period of time just to kind of wrap wrap up. Right, the, yeah. No, no, no. Al, you've been great. I like the interaction. It's been it's been, it's been fun to listen to. Pat, 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 you want to you want to take the lead and offer up? Uh, I, I don't want to take the lead. I'll just wrap it up and say that I apologize again for not being here earlier. And um, no, it's fun. any of those who are out there and want to claim gloom and doom that the world is coming to an end and the dollar is collapsing. I, I, as I <laughs> joke with people, use that very, very long Italian word from Howard Beach. Very long, multisyllabic Italian word. Forget about it. The, <laughs> the, the, the way that the dollar is constructed and the way that its influence is spread throughout the world and the fact that it's, it's moneyed up the pockets of so many dictators and creeps throughout the world um, aside from those little things, it is the de facto currency of the world. Could something interrupt it? Because it really is only good for the full faith and credit of the people of this country. But it is a de facto currency. And uh, all of the emotion that charges up these things like Bitcoin, I give it great respect. I may actually invest a little bit in it because I think it's got a long way to go. I think it's got many yes, it does. years. Um, don't lose faith in the dollar and don't believe all the bullshit that you see traveling around the internet uh, knocking this country and tearing us up. We've got a lot of good people that are working behind the scenes. I don't think with the same focus that Israel is our enemy because I view it as an enemy. It's certainly not our friend. It is one of the most dangerous enemies this nation has ever had or faced. And as long as that's not understood by our leadership, we do have a major problem. So I'll wrap it up. Actually, I think we're trying to get away from it. It's not working. 
No, it hasn't um, been able to work. It's like they use vanity. I mean, look at what Netanyahu did with Trump the other day at the UN. He praised him. Mix it or fix it. And and I would suggest that the deal we have with Iran was fathered, was was authored by Israel. They are looking for a collapse between Iran and the world so that the United States feels compelled to come in and do the dirty work. That's the way Rothschild has used the militaries of other nations of the world since the beginning of their influence back in the But here's the here's problem. Here's the problem before I let you go. New York City is no longer the financial center of the world anymore. It's London. It's, become, it's London. It always has been London. It's been, it's been the city of London. Of course. That's Churchill, the Churchills. That's Rothschild. Of course. Fleets. Well, uh, actually, Canary Wharf. But that doesn't matter. Um, so the thing is that ultimately, um, the only thing that keeps us glued to Britain is because of the common language and the banking system. I'm married to a Brit, by the way, for almost 40 years. Um, Say that again? What? I've been, mar- I've been married to a British woman for almost 40 years. Good for you. Um, she came here to finish her PhD. Woman. Only you know about that. <laughs> yeah. And she finished her PhD at Copeland Harbor Lab to look at Jim Watson's lab, the DNA complex. Watson and Crick, that kind of thing. Okay. Copeland Harbor. Um, the thing is that her father would say, the wide boys, and he's talking about in British terms, are all living in London. They control everything. <laughs> I look at it and say, Keith, are you, are you mad? Because you'll find out. You know, and um, Keith was right. You know, uh, Britain still is the epicenter of, if you think that New York City is a, is a chaos of financial systems, look at London. Everything that, gets, that could happen, happens on the streets of London financially. And that's why they remain the hub of financial services, despite the fact that they decided to leave the, the European Union. Well, I think, all, I think that was all set in stone long before the euro was even put together. I agree. Uh, I, I have not been able to figure out why Rothschild invented the euro because it was their product. Um, you got Nigel Farage. I, I totally agree with him. And he's, he, he believes as I do, or I believe as he does, the euro is dead. It's just a matter of when the funeral occurs. Um, yes, I got one thing. And what that funeral is the, the beginning of, the precursor to. They forgot one thing. You know what one thing is? Germany. They forgot one thing. Well, You will never beat the Germans, ever. <laughs> they do I mean, ever. Determination, don't they? Yes. Give them tin cans, send them into the black forest, that they come out with tanks. <laughs> Mess with them. <laughs> That's the best I need screws. Yeah, they did take in they did take in over a million Muslims and that was a that was an Israeli plan. So where will that take Angela Merkel? Angela Merkel. Where will that take her? It will take her out of out of power and you will find right wing extremists 
entering the power circle in Germany and it'll end all that kind of stuff. They will take Europe again. I've been thinking of that for my entire life. Let me, let me use take... one word. Let me use one word that the Rothschild family, the so-called banking family that I call a warrior group, yeah. I'll use one word that keeps them in power. Destabilization. Of course. And they thrive on it. And whether it's a million Muslims into Germany or if it's the problems we have with illegal immigration, it's destabilization. And they, are, they continue to amass more power while we're concerned about things that they have, in fact, pricked us royally with. What last? We'll see. It won't last. It will not last. And the German. All right, the German guys. Oh, your name is Al. 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 Yes. Al Patrick. That's a wrap, guys. Thank Catch you. Catch you later, on. guys. Okay. Have a great week. Thanks, Pat, for coming Thanks. on. Bye, bye, guys. Appreciate it, everyone. See you next Thank week, you. guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Steve. Betty. Scott Jacobitis, if you're still listening. Thanks for coming on the call. Good night, everyone. Thank you. God bless. Take care. Bye. A-U-N. American Underground Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.